0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ in His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For
1: more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel say. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank Thanks be to God.
0: Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Chase Dawes. I'm the RUF campus minister at Vanderbilt, right across the street there. Let me um, open us in prayer, and then we will, we will dive into um, uh, our sermon this morning. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you um, for... A day of Sabbath rest and worship and play and love. And we ask um, that you would meet us this morning. Um, Undoubtedly, we are walking in uh, all over the place. Um, Some of us don't know why we're here, some of us are excited to be here, Um, and some of us are barely hanging on. And so we trust that you will do what you have always done and that you will be our helper. Even now, we pray. And we ask that you would do this by your spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's good to be back with you today. We are taking a, um, I'm going to move this right here. We're taking a brief break from our summer series, um, and we're looking this morning at Psalm 124, which is part of the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, and, And these psalms kind of functioned like, songs for the road, uh, for a journey as, as ancient Israel made their way to Jerusalem on high feast days to worship. And uh, as many of you know, um, songs have a way of shaping us and, and forming us. And these psalms and these songs formed and shaped ancient Israel's expectations and our expectations for what the normal Christian life actually feels like and looks like. Um, we still do stuff like this today, actually. Uh, I played high school basketball, and I know what uh, you all are thinking right now. Chase, you look like a basketball player. Um, because most of the time when people think about superior athletes, they think of undersized, fair-skinned, red-headed People like myself Um, but anyways you may remember back in the day uh, especially if you're a millennial or older we used to do this thing uh, called burning CDs you'd burn a CD Uh, and uh, you might even remember LimeWire and Napster Uh, if you've never heard of that it's just like Spotify uh, except with one major caveat it's totally illegal so if you're my age or older there's a good chance you have a criminal record like myself, um, but anyways, details. But here's my point. Every year during basketball season, we would create these playlists and burn them onto a CD, and we would call, you know, two that come to mind uh, that we had when, when I was in high school was YAH Heard Volume 1, Mixtape Volume 1, and YAH Heard Mixtape Volume 2, and yes, we said it that way. YAH Heard Mixtape Volume 1 and Volume 2, and there were all of these songs on there. Perhaps one of the more tame songs on those playlists was Nelly's Heart of a Champion, um, you may not know who Nelly is, that's okay. Um, Heart of the Champions, great song. There's a line in there that says something to the effect of, um, I can't wait till I get my ring one day. Needless to say, I never got that championship ring. Um, but the point of these playlists is that they would, would help us to dig deep and give us like an extra something in anticipation for all of the adversity and the competition that we would face throughout the season. They would shape us. And prepare us for what was ahead. And that's actually what the Psalms of Ascent do. They shape and prepare us for the normal Christian life that is ahead. And all of the ups and downs, all of the twists and turns that are a part of the normal Christian life. And uh, perhaps more to the point, songs can help us remember. There are songs that, that you may not have heard for decades and the moment that it starts playing, you immediately remember all of the words. Immediately. And that's actually what Psalm 124 is about, on this road that ancient Israelites would travel, and on our road with Jesus, right? It's, it's about the art of remembering what we're supposed to remember, while we're on the road with Jesus. So let me give us somewhat of a roadmap this morning for where we're going. Um, The first is, what do we need to remember? What do we need to remember? Two is, when do we need to remember? When do we need to remember? And three, why do we need to remember? So what to remember, when to remember, and why do we need to remember? Um... You know, we, we forget things that we really shouldn't forget. And I'm going to um, embarrass my wife, who is sitting in that pew over there. I won't single her out. But uh, I'm going to confess something this morning that might derail my entire sermon because of the shame and embarrassment that I'm going to feel after telling you this. But uh, here goes nothing. When my wife and I were engaged and, and deeply in love, one day we were hanging out and all the random conversations that popped up were popping up. And we looked at each other, and she brought up this idea. She said, hey, should we give each other anything on our wedding day, exchange gifts or something? And I said, yeah, sure, why not? Sounds like a great idea. Well, apparently, what we had agreed to in that conversation was to write each other letters of how much we loved each other and what we appreciated about each other, and then exchange them the day of the wedding. So on the day of the wedding, maybe an hour or two before the wedding, my wife's maid of honor, knocks on the door that I was in with all of my groomsmen so that they could watch this whole thing unfold as well. And she hands me this beautiful envelope that's like done up in the ways that only a bride can do. Had a bow around it and this beautiful uh, writing. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like, what is this? You know, thanks so much. And she said, it's Holly's letter to you. Do you have your letter for Holly? Holly. You can see where this is going. It was horrible. The blood like slowly drained from my face uh, because I had totally forgotten. And Holly's friend has not talked to me since that day. (laughs) I'm just kidding. She's a great friend. My point is that we forget things that we really should not forget, that we really shouldn't forget. And that is something that the psalmist, praise be to God, that is something that the psalmist is aware of. The Psalms as a whole really paint a picture for us of what the normal Christian life is like and routinely what we find is that the Psalms are reminding us of things. They're reminding us of who God is. They're reminding us as people, as limited people of what we need. They're reminding us of who we're supposed to worship. They're reminding us of even our emotional life, of how to be sad and how to be happy. And one way to think about it is that the Psalms are doing this literally because we forget and have forgotten how to be human. And the Psalms are stirring our hearts and stirring our bones and reminding us how to truly be human again. And so to just give you an idea, if you are unaware of this, what the normal Christian life looks like on the one hand is a lot of forgetting— Our hearts wander. We forget where true north is. So that also means that part of the normal Christian life is remembering or being reminded. And one of the ways that we know that God actually loves us is that his word, the scriptures, constantly remind us of what we need to remember. That's one of the reasons why we have them. Something that I started with my boys years ago, we have three little boys, uh, Gabe, Bo, and Griffy, seven, five, and almost two. And so I started this years ago um, that has kind of morphed somewhat into a little bit of a catechism, and I, and I would tell them, hey, Daddy always loves you. Daddy always loves you. And over time, that morphed, um, as I said, into somewhat of a catechism where I would ask them a question, and I would say, do you remember... Do you remember what daddy said? And over time they began to say, right Gabe? They would say, daddy always loves me. And so do you see what is happening there in my exchange with my great little boys? The word of their dad is coming to them regularly and telling them and reminding them of what will always be true. Namely that no matter what, no matter what they do, no matter what they believe, no matter what they struggle with, Daddy will always love you. The psalmist here is doing the same thing. At the very beginning, he is reminding us of what we need to remember. And here's what he's reminding us here's what he says. The Lord is on your side. The Lord is on your side." That is the first thing that he utters, because as we will all see, he wants us to remember that no matter what we face in the Christian life, no matter what we face on the road with Jesus, what we need to remember is that God is on our side. God is on your side. So that's the first thing. That's what we need to remember. But the psalmist goes on, and he also tells us when we need to remember this. Now, um, it probably goes without saying that we need to remember the faithfulness of God, that God is on our side in every season of life. Um, But the psalmist here is pointing out a very specific context he wants us to remember that God is especially on our side when we encounter one thing in particular. Okay, one thing in particular. Let's look again at verses one through two and read that together. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us. When people rose up against Against us. Here's what the psalmist is saying. When do you actually need to remember that God is on your side? It is when people rise up against you. This may not have jumped off the page to you as we were reading Psalm 124, but Psalm 124 is actually about relationships, it's about people. It's about the the relationships and the interactions that we have that we make or break throughout our lives. It's about the confrontations that we have with people and the interactions that we have with people in a world that is in ruins from the fall. So let me see if I can be like a bit more concrete with this. This is actually something that our city knows very well. This is something that our city knows very well very well, and that's this, that people hurt people. People really hurt people. We hurt individuals. We hurt ourselves, even. We even hurt whole groups of people. And verses 3 through 5 actually unpack what it feels like for people to rise up against you. What it feels like when people hurt people. So it feels like being eaten alive, to use the language that's here in Psalm 124. It's like, it feels like trembling in the face of anger and hate. It feels like being engulfed by a deluge of disaster and drowning while gasping for air and gasping for life. And the reason the imagery is so vivid Right, The Bible and the Psalms, the imagery is so vivid here because they don't paint a picture of the normal Christian life that is primarily made up of one of glow sticks and camp culture. I know a lot of us have great memories from camp. Some of us have terrible memories from camp. The good news is is that the Christian life is not lived at camp. This is the real life that the psalmist is talking about here, where people really hurt people. And it spans this massive spectrum here of our experience because the fall is so deep within our bones that even the slightest and awkward, the most slightest like awkward interaction can swallow us up whole in shame and embarrassment and force us into hiding from people and isolating ourselves. It reminds us, um, you know, we moved here last summer. We spent the previous five years in the Bay Area where I was the of campus minister at Berkeley. And so we moved here uh, we just completed our first year here. And so there's, you know, a lot of new faces, a lot of new relationships, a lot of trying to remember who people are. And there was one day earlier this year where we were at this kind of field day type thing at uh, one of my boys schools, and my middle son thought that he spotted somebody that he knew. And so he grabbed my hand and he said, hey, let's run over here and say hey to this person uh, that he recognized. And when we got there, he ran up to this person with such excitement and was waving at them, you know, couldn't wait for them to see him. And when, and when we got there, this person turned and realized that he was waving, and they looked at him like, who in the world are you? And what happened immediately after that is that my son, when he realized what was going on, he turned and he ran behind me and he buried his face in his hands in total shame. And even got down on his knees, hiding from this person, this other four-year-old. Something that is so small, something that is so normal, I'm a pastor and I forget people all the time, confession. We confuse people all of the time. But it can feel like total humiliation, like your own simple mistakes are even rising up against you to destroy you. And so if something so normal and common uh, can, can do that to us, imagine how much pain and damage and hurt that we are capable of. This is what it feels like, the psalmist is saying, this is what it feels like when people betray people. This is what it feels like when a marriage is falling apart. This is what it feels like when love is a fraud. This is what it feels like when abuse violates your life. This is what it feels like when a woman's body miscarries a pregnancy. This is what it feels like when a young child is neglected and starved of touch. This is what it feels like Dare I say, when a people group is made to be like animals for generation upon generation and work to the bones in our fields, this is what it feels like. This is what it feels like when forgiveness is not found. This is actually what it feels like. If you go all the way back to the very beginning of Scripture, In the very first pages, this is what it feels like to cover our very own bodies that were made in the glorious image of God, to cover those bodies in shame because we literally hate what we see. This is what it feels like when people rise up against you. It's what it feels like when people hurt people. And the psalmist is telling us here, what he's telling us is that the most important moments in our lives to actually remember that God is on our side is when the people without or the person within rises up against you. The most important moments in our lives to remember, to try to remember hey, God is actually on my side, is when the people without or the person within rise up against you. So let's review. What do we need to remember? We need to remember that God is on our side. And then the psalmist tells us when we need to remember it. We need to remember it when people rise up against us. And lastly, there's one other question that the psalmist wants us to ask, and that's why. Why do we need to remember it? Why on earth should we try to remember and reflect on all of this hardship in life and then just say some sort of pious platitude that, hey, God is on my side? Because the reality is, if you're like me, the reality is is that oftentimes it feels like God is not on our side. So why do we need to remember this? Well, the answer the psalmist gives us is found in verse eight, so let's read that together really quick. Verse eight, our help... Is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. What the psalmist is saying is that we need to remember this, not to make it all go away, not to sweep it under the rug, not to pretend that life is just merry and full of excitement at every turn. We need to remember this for one simple reason we need help. We need help. I need help. You need help. Verses six through seven actually correspond to verses three through five. Three through five painted us these uh, with these vivid metaphors what it feels like to actually be hurt by people, and then verses six through seven actually go on to show us what it feels like to be loved by God. And you can read verses six through seven. And you can be tempted to think that this means that we should just always feel happy. But then the psalmist and God gave us verse eight. And verse eight reminds us not that the Christian life always feels happy, but that the Christian life always feels needy. It always feels like we need help. I just turned uh, 36 last week, I think. I'm forgetting. Um, I definitely know I turned 36. I think my birthday was last week and not the week before. Um, And I became a Christian when I was 19. And uh, basically, throughout my time as a Christian, especially like the first 10 years, I struggled deeply with doubt. Um, And one of the things that kept me kind of confidently clinging to Jesus is how honest the Bible is about the human condition uh, and our experience. And I remember um, an interview with Mr. Rogers from back in the day, uh, from Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, where he kind of um, put Nickelodeon on blast, and he was saying that children's experience of life is not just about throwing pies in people's faces and being drenched with green ooze all of the time. He was arguing that we need to take their little lives seriously. We need to take their hurts seriously and we need to take their pains seriously and we need to take their curiosity seriously and their failures seriously and their special needs seriously. And he wanted to make a show that, that honored and gave dignity to the complexity of their little lives rather than just always kind of coercing them into happy feelings. And I don't know if you've given yourself the freedom to say this, being a Christian is hard. Like newsflash, it is hard to believe that somebody rose from the dead. Moreover, it's hard to believe that it happened over 2,000 years ago and we're still waiting for this person to return. Being a Christian does not feel like being happy. Being a Christian, it feels like being on the road with Jesus and being needy. It feels like carrying a cross. It feels like saying, Please help me in my unbelief. Because the reality of what's happened is that, yes, we have escaped. In Christ, we have escaped and we were not eaten, but we still saw the teeth and we still felt the bite. Yes, we haven't drowned. But we've been drenched by the consuming flood of grief, especially in this city in the past few months. We've been drenched by grief. And yes, we've been set free, but we know the embarrassment of being snagged in the unrelenting nets of sinfulness in our lives. And so, why do we need to remember that the Lord is on our side? Why is the psalmist telling us this? Because we need help. We need help. We need help to follow Jesus. We need help to be Christians. We need help to show up at church again on a Sunday morning when nothing in us wants to believe this. We need help coming to this table and trying to have our imaginations captured once again that this little tiny piece of bread and these little tiny cups of wine actually hit our palates in such a way that make us imagine and anticipate and desire the world and the kingdom that is to come in Christ Jesus where there are no more tears where people do not hurt people anymore. We need help to do that. That's why we're here, because we need help. Well, knowing that we need help also teaches us to look outside of ourselves, and it teaches us to ask one more question. Who do we need to remember? Who do we need to remember? My first year, um, when I was the REF campus minister at UC Berkeley, on three separate occasions, uh, uh, it's, it's an expensive place to live and it's an expensive place to do ministry. Uh, on my, in my first year, on three separate occasions, I had three $20,000 deficits. Beginning of the year, middle of the year, and the very end of the year. And uh, to boot on the last large group of my first year, on April 24th, Uh, I woke up and unexpectedly found out uh, that my dad had passed, that he had died back in Alabama. This was also the day after our second son was due to be born, and within the week I was also to be ordained. My ordination service was coming. And so we had no idea. Our bodies could not even hold the sheer emotion and the weight of that entire Experience. We didn't know whether to celebrate the the soon-to-be birth of our second son. We didn't know whether to grieve the death of my dad. I didn't know if I'd be able to go back and pick a casket out or the tie that he would wear in his casket. All of the normal things that every boy and every girl should experience as they lay their parents to rest. But nonetheless, we went through that process in deep grief and in deep celebration. And a few weeks later, um, later in June... Uh, I had to do something, right, because we were in a big deficit. And it was actually somebody from this city that I barely knew at the time, but I knew that they might have some interest in what was going on. And I called them and I said, hey, here is what's going on in our life right now. And I don't really know what else to say other than simply this. I need your help. I need your help. And it was that person that threw an event for us here in Nashville that dramatically transformed the ministry of RUF Berkeley for years to come and even to this day and continues to impact and change students' lives who've never even considered what the Bible is or who've never even prayed or have never even really pondered who Jesus is and why he matters. All simply because I knew that I needed help and I knew who to turn to. Knowing we need help teaches us to look outside of ourselves. And knowing we need help teaches us who to look for. It really is a great gift that God offers us help. Because for any of you that have been through deep pains and grief in this world, you know that there's really no magic trick that can just make it all go away. The only way through it is just through it. And you don't need anybody to make it go away. What you need is help. You need help to make your bed. You need help putting food on the table. You need help that just looks like a friend showing up and being present. You need help telling stories and remembering the joys and the sorrows and the celebrations and the sadness of people that you've lost. You need help getting back into work, back into the office. You need help learning to love again. You need help just learning to live again. And you need help just trying to believe that God is on your side. And that is what God gives us. He doesn't give us good advice. He doesn't give us good ideas. He doesn't give us an exercise routine to get us back into shape. It is not what God gives us. It is who God gives us. And he gives us Jesus. And maybe you're beginning to connect the dots in your head now of who Jesus actually is because Jesus is the one who did not escape. Jesus was the one who was swept away by our sin. And Jesus was the one who was swallowed up by the wrath of God that was kindled against us. And Jesus was the one who remembered you and who remembered me before we ever even thought of him. So who does God give us? He gives us Jesus. He gives us Jesus. And the reason why is because the only person is the person, the God-man Jesus, he is the only person that can make right what we people have made wrong. And to use the language of the Apostle Paul later in the New Testament, if that Jesus is for us, who or what? can stand against us. If that Jesus is for us, who or what can stand against us? And that is actually why we come to this table each week. We come to this table every week to feast on that help. We come to this table to feast on that help. This is the daily bread kind of help that Jesus taught us to pray for. And here... At this table, it is by faith that we actually feed on the one who remembered us. And through this feast, he helps us to to take the next step in our journey. One foot in front of the other, he feeds us with this daily bread, with the help that we need. This table um, is for those who know that they need help. This table is for those who have trusted in Jesus as their helper. And if that is you this morning, you are welcome at this table. This is not Christ Prez's table. It's not Nashville's table, it's not my table. This is Jesus' table. And if you know that you have found your help in Jesus, this table is for you. But if you haven't trusted in Jesus, then let me encourage you, don't take the table this morning. Take Jesus. Something that I think we often miss uh, in, in, in Christianity is that Jesus is fully committed to you not pretending. You do not have to pretend in this building. You do not have to pretend when you come to Jesus. You can be fully authentic and still continue to take your time and explore the claims of Jesus and wrestle with Jesus. Don't come to the table. Take Jesus. Talk with me. Talk to some elders after the service. service. We'd love to help you. But if you have found your help in Jesus, this table is for you. Let me invite you now to stand as we read uh, together a prayer of peace from our liturgy.